Hebrews chapter number 10. Hebrews chapter 10 in our Bibles this evening. I would ask that you would keep um, Pastor Brett Pagan and his wife Hope in uh, prayer. Um, Many of you know Brett. uh, Grew up at Trinity for the most part. And uh, he and Hope have four children. They were in a a pretty bad car accident Friday evening. They're doing okay. Um, But uh, the van was totaled. Basically took the front end off of the van. Um, Hope, I believe, is is still being checked out, but um, keep them in prayer. Also, the church that Brett pastors there in Charleston, South Carolina. Um, uh, pastor Pagan's not been there too long as the pastor, and uh, so I don't know if they're in the honeymoon stage, but um, working through some things, and let's just be praying that God will use this um, in not only the Pagan's life, in Brett's life as a pastor, but also in the, the heart of the church, that God would use this, uh, that the heart, of, the heart of this church would be drawn out to love their pastor and pray for him and care for him. And uh, let's just pray that God would use this for his glory. So many of you know Brett, and uh, so please pray for them because there's a lot going on, a lot more than just the accident. So be in prayer for them. Um, I want to look at a passage here this evening and uh, I've asked you to turn to Hebrews chapter 10. The Hebrew believers um, that this is uh, given, this letter was given to, they were enduring a number of afflictions and trials and hardships. They were very genuine trials that they were going through. Look in verse number 32 of Hebrews chapter 10, would you? Verse 32, I'll read verses 32 and 33. It says there, says, but called to remembrance the former days in which after ye were illuminated, ye endured a great fight of afflictions. So, um, Paul, uh, some don't think it was Paul, but whoever it was that penned this down, the Holy Spirit, we, can, we know that, wanted these believers to be reminded of at the time when they were saved. And, uh, but after they were saved, they endured a great fight of afflictions. A lot of hardships came their way not long after they were saved. And then look at verse number 33. He says, partly, whilst ye were made a gazing stock. And that's an interesting word. Both by reproaches and afflictions. And partly, whilst ye became companions of them that were so used as gazing stock. So, he said, some of you were basically put in the arena to be mocked and watched as you were torn apart and abused, and you endured. The, uh, the word gazing stock there is the Greek word theat, theat rizzo. Theat rizzo. We get our word theater from it. You go to the theater to watch something. That's why people go to the theater to watch something, to observe and, uh, and the Holy Spirit is speaking to these believers. He says, partly whilst ye were made a, a gazing stock, both by reproaches and afflictions, and partly whilst ye became companions of them that were so used. So he said, some of you are actually, your hardships were so intense that people just, their mouth just kind of dropped open as they watched you struggle. Uh, people came to watch you 
suffer. And, uh, and you know that in the early church of the, in the Rome, uh, in the different Colosseums and that, in certain, certain periods of church history, believers were actually put into Colosseums and they would unleash wild animals to go in and tear the families apart while people paid money to come and watch it happen. And these believers, though not in Rome, they had suffered greatly. And he basically tells them that you, you, were in, you suffered to such a degree that people just watched what would happen to you. And he said, and for those of you who, you weren't the ones going through the trial, you knew people who were going through the trial. So these believers had struggled so very much, God knew that some of them, because of their trials, had become weak. They'd become vulnerable. And some of them were actually considering giving up. I think that still happens today, by the way. I don't think it's just the younger generations, as we call them. You know, the, the, the generations in their 20s or teenagers or maybe even early 30s that consider giving up. Uh, we have many believers here who, from a lot of different age groups, and there are many of you who are older in life, and uh, I believe that older believers still consider giving up too. Going through the hardships and trials of life. These believers were there. They, some of them were considering giving up. And so the Holy Spirit was exhorting them to keep their confidence in the Lord. Look at verses 34 and 35. He says there in verse 34, For ye had compassion of me and my bonds. That's the way the Apostle Paul would have said it and took joyfully the spoiling of your goods, knowing in yourselves that ye have in heaven a better and an enduring substance. Cast not away, therefore, your confidence, which hath great recompense of reward. In other words, what he was saying was, now, now is no time to give up. You suffered, it's true. You endured some significant hardship and trial. And you responded in faith. You, you ministered to me while I was in prison. But now is no time to give up. Now is no time to give in. And so the Hebrew believers needed to know, and the Holy Spirit of God would have known this, as he knows all things, these Hebrew believers needed to know and embrace that God had a purpose in everything and that God makes no mistakes. Now, I want you to look over to chapter 12, because what I've read to you there uh, will help set some things in our minds where they need to be as we look at Hebrews chapter 12. And I want you to look with me, beginning in verse number 5. Verse 5, I'm going to read all the way down through verse number 17. Verse 5, it says this, And ye have forgotten the exhortation which speaketh unto you as unto children, my son, Despise not thou the chastening of the Lord, nor faint when thou art rebuked of him. For whom the Lord loveth, he chasteneth, and scourgeth every son whom he receiveth. If ye endure chastening, God dealeth with you as with sons. For what son is he whom the Father chasteneth not? But if ye be without chastisement, whereof all are partakers, then are ye bastards and not sons. Furthermore, we have... We have had fathers of our flesh which corrected us, and we gave them reverence. Shall we not much rather be in subjection unto the Father of spirits, speaking of God the Father, and live? 
For they verily for a few days chastened us after their own pleasure, speaking of our earthly fathers, but he for our profit, God chastens us for, for our benefit, that we might be partakers of his holiness. Now no chastening for the present seemeth to be joyous, but grievous. Nevertheless, afterward it yieldeth the peaceable fruit of righteousness unto, the, unto them which are exercised thereby. Wherefore, lift up the hands which hang down and the feeble knees. And make straight paths for your feet, lest that which is lame be turned out of the way, and let it rather be healed. Follow peace with all men and holiness, without which no man shall see the Lord. Looking diligently, lest any man fail of the grace of God, lest any root of bitterness springing up trouble you, and thereby many be defiled. Lest there be any fornicator or profane person as Esau, who for one morsel of meat sold his birthright. For ye know how that afterward, when he would have inherited the blessing, he was rejected, for he found no place of repentance, though he sought it carefully with tears. Let's pray together and we'll ponder these words of God. Let's pray. Dearly Father, help us, I ask, as we look at your word this evening. Um, Father, as we walk this journey that we call life, as we enter a new week this week and draw this year drawing to a close, not knowing what lies ahead for us, Father, I pray that you'd give us wisdom on how, as to how we should walk, things we ought to remember. So order our thoughts, I pray. I pray this for folks who are older in life as well as those who are young. And I ask these things in Jesus' name, amen. Let's Look at the Word of God here this evening in Hebrews chapter 12. I think it's important to understand and to accept the truths that this text provides. It's really, frankly, a wonderful help in getting victory as we go through this life. Trials and tests, sometimes heartaches. Now, the question is, is there anything that we can do while we're going through a trial? I mean, what can we do, really? Sometimes the trial seems to be so overwhelming, you find yourself in a situation, you really, you might even be there, you say, I can't do anything. Have you ever been there? There's nothing I can do. You know, um, Pastor Pagan's father uh, is here tonight. There's really not much he can do to help his son and his daughter-in-law and his grandchildren. It's out of his control in many ways. When the news came to you on Friday evening, uh, it was out of your control. And so many, many times we find ourselves in positions or places in life where the matter that we're dealing with is, frankly, out of our control. However, we can control, uh, we can decide uh, how we go through it. That is one thing that you and I do have the ability to make a decision on. So, is there anything we can do while we're going through a trial? And the answer is yes. And I want to give you four words, okay? One is to understand. Two is to trust. Three is to avoid. And four is to seek. And uh, I'm going to give you some further instruction with those four words. But first of all, understand that the chastening of God, and uh, I use that word broadly here, Uh, to refer to trials and hardships, no matter what they are. The chastening of God is training and instruction. 
Now, when, when I say chastening, what do you think of when I use the word chastening? Discipline, okay. And so when we think of discipline, when I use the word chastening, when we think of discipline, we automatically assume that someone has done something, what? Wrong, right. And God's going to make them pay for it, you know. But as we see from the text, that not all chastening is corrective chastening. In other words, God chastens us. He chastens who he loves. And he chastens us sometimes, not because we've done something wrong, but because he loves us. And I'll point this out as we look at the passage as we go along. But there is such a thing as corrective chastening. God chastens us when we sin against him. That is true, but there is also another kind of chastening in the Bible, and that is instructive chastening. In other words, it's not punishment. He's growing us. He's teaching us. He's making us who he wants us to be. He's drawing us closer to him. He's purifying us to bring him glory. And he does it, he does it for our good. He does it for our good. So I notice, first of all, understand that chastening is training and chastening is instruction. Now, we're in the middle of a trial. There are some things we need to remember and we need to understand them. Look at verse number five. He says here, And ye have forgotten the exhortation which speaketh unto you as unto children. My son, despise not thou the chastening of the Lord, nor faint when thou art rebuked of him. Now again, these believers were thinking about, some of them were considering just throwing in the towel, and the Holy Spirit of God tells them in verse number 5, you've forgotten a specific exhortation that has been given to you already. You're not thinking biblically, you're wanting to give up, you're, con- you're considering it. You're actually considering of going a different direction, not trusting the Lord. And so the Holy Spirit, in a sense, chides these Hebrew believers because they were defeated. They were being defeated because they had forgotten an Old Testament truth. And the Old Testament truth is found in Proverbs chapter 3, and he quotes that here in Hebrews chapter 12. In Proverbs 3 and verse 11, the Bible says, My son, despise despise, neither be weary of his correction. For whom the Lord loveth, he correcteth, even as a father, the son in whom he delighteth. And the word despise means to disregard or to take lightly or to trivialize. Despise not the chastening of the Lord, is what he says. Neither be weary of his correction. And God is implying that these believers were despising what God was doing in their lives. And specifically, we know by the text that that was chastening. So God was allowing hardship in the lives of these believers, and the Holy Spirit pinpoints something in the hearts of these believers that, frankly, no man could have pinpointed or identified. And what was it? They were despising the chastening of the Lord. Have you ever despised or trivialized? Uh, Have you ever taken lightly the chastening of God in your life? What do you think? Yes or no? You know, I think, frankly, I think we go through life at such a rapid speed that sometimes we don't even consider God in it. We just go through life. 
And whether it's a sump pump or whether it's a car accident or whether it's a loss of a loved one, we just kind of cruise along through life almost like God has nothing to do with any of it. And I submit to you that he has something to do with all of it. Nothing happens by accident with God. But these believers were despising what God was doing in their lives. And when, 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 when you were a child, when I was a child, how many of us got tired of our parents spanking us? Raise your hand if you got tired of that. None of the children raised their hands. That was your chance. Luke, I see that hand. All right. Yes, Carson, Samantha. All right. No one else needs to do it. Evan, I see that hand, though. <clears throat> um, you know, I used to get tired of that. I remember being so sad. But when I was 12 years old, my dad came home, and I needed a spanking. And my dad, he looked at me and he basically said, Seth, I'm going to spank you for whatever I had done. And then he said, but I want you to know something. This is the last time I'm going to spank you. I don't know if he should have told me that or not. But I was never so glad to grab a hold of that bed. You know, have at it, Dad. This is the last one. I mean, I never thought the day was going to come, you know. It hadn't crossed my mind that this is going to end someday. But there was a, as a child, I, I couldn't wait, I guess. I was relieved when it was going to be over. My dad also told me some fearful words, though, that, that God would be chastening me and that he, dad, would find other ways to chasten me as well. That would be more severe than spanking which I didn't fully comprehend. I was still glad to be done with the, sw- the swats, okay? But um, I think all of us, to a degree, would rather not have chastening at all in our lives. I think that's in our flesh. I think that we would prefer that in our flesh. Let me just live life my way with no consequences. But you know, that's completely irresponsible and uh, not honest. It's dishonest. That's not reality, because there are consequences to actions in life, like gravity exists. There are certain laws that just exist. That's like saying, I wish I could fly, I'm going to jump off the top of the building, and I just don't want there to be any laws. I want to be able to do whatever I want. Guess what? The law of gravity still has an effect. And there are still laws in life. So because of those laws, our Heavenly Father, and for His name and for His glory, He chastens us. He chastens those that He loves. And sometimes the chastening of the Lord is corrective. And we ought to think about this. Lord, are you bringing things into my life because you're trying to correct? You're you're disciplining me. You're correcting inappropriate behavior, inappropriate thinking, a dishonoring attitude in my life. When instructive discipline is not needed... Corrective discipline, or, or should I say it this way, when corrective discipline is not heeded, we don't heed God's corrective or his instructive discipline, corrective discipline will follow. I'll say that again because I'm pretty sure I butchered it pretty bad. When instructive discipline or instruction of God is not heeded, when we don't obey God's words, Uh, we can expect corrective discipline to follow. We can always expect that. 
um, failure to heed God's word in the Old Testament brought judgment upon Judah in Amos, book of Amos. Again, in in the book of Amos chapter 4, God made repeated efforts to bring Israel back to him. God used famine and drought and pestilence and plague and war and earthquakes to bring his chosen people back into obedience, back to a place where he could bless them. That's what he wanted to do. What about the New Testament? We, We could think about 1 Corinthians chapter 11, where the people there in the church at Corinth were being so selfish, and because of their selfishness and because of their disregard for Jesus Christ and his sacrifice, some of the Corinthian believers were very ill, and some others had even died. That was correction by the Lord, even in the New Testament. So sometimes the chastening of the Lord is corrective, but sometimes the chastening of the Lord is instructive. And I really want to emphasize that the chastening of the Lord isn't always corrective. Because I think that's how we think of it. If, if you know, sometimes God allows bad things to happen. Sometimes he brings along those things because he's correcting us, because we've been wrong or we've been in sin or something like that. But I really want to emphasize this evening that the chastening of the Lord is not always corrective. Sometimes it's instructive. Chastening is training. Chastening is instruction, not just punishment. So when things go wrong in our lives, and we term it that way, things have gone wrong, we often disregard the purpose God has for bringing that trial into our lives. We often don't think about it. Why? And you ought to ask yourself the question, Lord, why have you brought this into my life? Why have you allowed this into my life? But when we miss God's point for the trial, it's easy to give up. And that's where these believers were. They were close to giving up. And so the Holy Spirit of God was helping their thinking. And he's reminding them specifically of of the chastening of the Lord. And he's saying, yes, sometimes it's corrective, but sometimes it's instructive. And you need to be reminded of why God's allowing hardship into your life. Now remember, remember what I read back in chapter 10. Some of them had been dragged out and publicly humiliated for others to see it. I don't know how many of us here have gone through something to that extreme. And yet, still, they're struggling, they're doubting, they're wondering, maybe... And the Holy Spirit of God is saying, remember why chastening happens. You need to remember why, or you're going to faint. You're going to miss God's point for the trial. God has a point. He has a purpose for the trial. And let me stop right here for just a moment. If you're at the point where you're overwhelmed, if you're at the point in your life where you're ready to give up, I want you to cry out to the Lord and I want you to ask Him, God, help me understand the purpose for this trial. I I can't encourage you enough to do that. Ask Him. Ask your Heavenly Father, Lord, I'm missing the point. I'm not seeing the point. Now, you know, you're probably not going to have God's thorough perspective on it in this lifetime. But I do believe that he will reveal to you and he will give you reasons, purposes, his point. I believe he can help us understand it. And I know that even by this passage. Ask him to help you understand the purpose for the trial. In verses 6, 7, 8, and 9, we're reminded that the chastening of God in our lives is evidence of God's love for us. It's actually proof that we are the children of God. 
look at verse look at verse 6. He says for whom the Lord loveth he chasteneth. So how many of us want God to chasten us? Okay. Yeah. <laughs> Is God watching? <laughs> yes. How many of us God want God to love us? Yeah. Do we want him to love us the, the, the way that he loves? I mean, in the fullness of his love. I wish we could have the men come and sing the quartet again tonight. I'm tempted. Are you ready, Gary? Okay, he's ready. But singing about that love, vast as, as an ocean. You know that that love, the love that they sang about, that our hearts rejoice to hear about, that includes his chastening. He chastens us because he loves us. He disciplines us because he loves us. Uh, yesterday when I was digging the trench, Ian came out and William came out and they both had shovels and we were digging, you know, and one of them wanted the, Dad, can I use the pickaxe? And I said, there are too many people in a close proximity. No. But you know what? We were learning how to use shovels. We, were, we had to bore our way underneath the sidewalk and come in from both sides. Why did I choose to run that pipe on a diagonal? I wondered. As we were boring, it was a longer path to do that. You know, but we were... And there was, there was some... There was some uh, chastening that went on, but it wasn't corrective with the boys. It was instructive. This is how you do that. No, hold the shovel like this. Put some effort behind it. A little bit of elbow grease. What's that? We're learning. You know, there was some instruction going on. And, and we, you and I need that as well. We're not digging trenches. Uh, look again as we continue here. Verse number 6, And he scourgeth every son whom he receiveth. And that, that's a 100% statement. He scourgeth every son whom he receiveth. Every one of his children. Verse 7, If ye endure chastening, we have to endure it. You can't quit. You can't give up. God dealeth with you as with sons. And what son is he whom the father chasteneth not? But if ye be without chastisement, whereof all are partakers, then are ye bastards and not sons. He says, frankly, you're not a child of God if you are not being chastened in some way along the way. Verse 9, furthermore, we have had fathers of our flesh which corrected us, and we gave them reverence. Shall we not much rather be in subjection unto the Father of spirits and live? And the Holy Spirit is encouraging these believers. You know, you're, you're, you're looking at your situation, you're looking at your life and your you're actually contemplating giving up. Don't you realize that the chastisement you're enduring in your life, don't you realize that it's your father that's doing it? You say, no, Pastor Ferguson, it's not, it's not God, it's, it's my, my boss. They're out of their mind. But yet God puts you there under their authority. You don't think God knew who your boss was and who you are? He absolutely knew. And he knows. He knows what you're going through. He is, it was no mistake. And if it's not for corrective measures or matters, it's for instruction. He wants us to learn. He wants us to better know him. He wants us to love him more. He wants us to know that he loves us more. 
than we think he loves us. He wants us to grow in him, you see. You know, the message really is simple. If parents love their children, they train them. And parents only train their own children. I remember watching a young boy years ago climb the coat racks and fall off on his head. I wish I had intervened in that situation. It all happened so fast. You know, I won't mention any children by name. And you won't be too hard on my children either. I think we were a couple of wrestling Fergusons in the auditorium this morning. We had a talk. But you know what? Parents, we train our children because we love our children. And, uh, and we only train our own children. You don't find me disciplining other people's children. No thanks. That's yours. Andrew Davis, you're about to go up by what, two-thirds? From one to three. Wow. Twins. Double the spankings. Does that mean like double the less sleep? Is that that what that means? Hopefully they're on the same schedule, right? But parents only discipline their own children. And our Heavenly Father loves us. We are His children, and He's training us. And the trial that we may be going through right now, or whether we went, the ones we've gone through in the past, the ones we'll go through in the future, have been allowed by God to to train us and to instruct us so that we'll be the kind of child He has saved us to be. Sometimes we question God's love during trials, don't we? But the Bible says that trials are evidence that God loves us. And the parent who loves their child doesn't withhold correction. And the parent who loves their child doesn't withhold instruction. So children, tonight, when your mom and dad do spank you the right way, and when they're telling you what to do, when they say, hey, come over here and look at this. And, uh, hey, this is how you do this right here. This is how you do it. So you hold it like this, and you do it like this. You You know why they're doing that? Because they love you. That's why. And sometimes you say, no, I want to hold it this way. No, no, hold it the way they're telling you to hold it. They love you. It's instruction. And our Heavenly Father wants to do that. You know, sometimes as children, we get tired of our parents telling us what to do. I just want to get out on my own, you know, make my own decisions. But I have news for all of you who are children who are still living in your parents' home. You have another father, if you're a saved young person, and that father is God. And unlike your earthly father who doesn't know everything that you do, your heavenly father knows everything that you do. He's there when you do it. He watches you do it, and you can count on him to correct you when you do the wrong thing and to instruct you into how to do the right thing. And you really can't get away with anything. How about that? And you know what? He loves us. He's merciful. He's gracious. He's long-suffering. But understand that chastening is training and instruction. Number two, trust God. Trust God. Why? Because he knows and he is doing what is best for you. Now, we're answering the question as to, well, is there anything that I can do while I'm going through the trial? Well, number one, you can understand that chastening is training and instruction. It's from your Father. He loves you. Number two, trust Him. 
Why? Because he knows what's best and he's doing what is best for you. You know, that's such a simple truth, right? Trust and obey. We've sung it since we were children. And yet, it seems to be the hardest thing that you and I, the hardest lesson to learn as we go through life. Trust him. Do you believe that God knows what's best for you? Do you believe that he's actually doing what is best for you right now? Do you believe that? Do you believe the job where he has you is best for you? Do you believe the person you're married to, that God brought into your life and he put you together, do you believe that that person is best for you? Because God brought you together. Do you believe that the parents that you have are the parents God wants you to have because it was best for you? Because he knew you needed those two people to be your parents. You believe that. See. And as you're going through trial, what can I do? What can I do? Well, you know what? This is what he tells us. You can trust that God knows and is doing what's best for you. Look at verses 10 and 11. He says, For they verily for a few days, speaking of earthly fathers, chastened us after their own pleasure. I find that a very interesting uh, wording. Dad, did you enjoy spanking me? He's smiling. I wish you could have seen the look on his face. He's smiling. We're going to have to have lunch this week. After their own pleasure, but he, speaking of our Heavenly Father, but he for our profit, that we might be partakers of his holiness. Now no chastening for the present seemeth to be joyous, but grievous. Nevertheless, afterward it yieldeth the peaceable fruit of righteousness unto them which are exercised thereby. So God compares himself in the passage to our earthly father, or to an earthly father. In verse number 10, the beginning part, we're told that our earthly fathers chastened us after their own pleasure. Um, Maybe that was just so that they would have a break from disobedient children. You know, earthly fathers, and I am one, we don't always act in the best interest of our children. I'd like to say we do, but we're earthly fathers. We're not perfect fathers. And even if they want to do what is right, an earthly father, they don't always know what's best. Have you ever been there as a father you're not sure exactly what to do? So you make a decision, you make a choice, and we find out if it was right or not. So sometimes as an earthly father, we don't always do the right thing, and sometimes we don't even know what to do. But when we've received the Lord Jesus Christ as our personal Savior, we become a child of God, and God becomes our Heavenly Father. And from that point on, we can rest in this. Our Heavenly Father will always know what is best for us, and He will always do what is best for us. And we need to believe that truth by faith right now, tonight. Before we walk out that door, as we ponder this passage in verse number 10 and 11, We need to walk out these doors, back out to where the trial may be. There's a bit of a haven here tonight as we gather. We sing hymns and you're with God's people. And there's there's a consensus amongst us that God is good and he is right. And we trust him and we love him and he saved us. And heaven is our home. 
But this evening, we're going to walk back out to our vehicles and we're going to disperse and go our separate ways. And there's going to be different trials that every single one of us are going to face. We need to make a choice again tonight. Do I'm going to trust God. And I'm going to believe by faith that He knows what's best for me and that He's doing what's best for me. We may not feel that what's happening could, could possibly be the best for us. But we ought to claim this truth by faith. Notice in verse number 10 why the Lord, why He says this. He says, For they verily for a few days chastened us after their own pleasure. But then He says this, But He... God, our Heavenly Father, for our profit. This is why He brings trials into our lives. It tells us here He does it for our benefit. For our profit is the word that's used. And the word profit has the idea of for our advantage. Now think about your trial. Is it for your advantage? You know, even, and someone mentioned this to me this morning after the morning service. They said, you know, it won't be just in heaven someday where we'll be able to, we'll, we'll, we'll know better, we'll experience God's blessings after all the trials in this earth. But even in this life, once you've lived long enough, you're able to look back and say, Lord, thank you for what you did there. Thank you for that hardship. You drew me closer to you during that time. You brought yourself, you revealed yourself to me. You, you drew me to salvation. You know, we can see that even in our lives within this vapor of a life that we're living. The word prophet there means to make us better. You know, sometimes as we're going through a trial, it feels like we're coming apart, not getting better. It feels like we're getting worse at times. You ever feel that? The stress just starts to feel like you're unraveling at the seams. What's happened? You know, you, you need to trust God. I need to trust God. We need to know that what he's doing is for our best, and he knows what's best for us. So God desires that we profit spiritually from the trial, but Satan does not. And not everyone profits from the trials. To profit from a trial requires that we become, he says in verse 10, partakers of his holiness. In other words, God wants the trouble in our lives to make us more like Christ. Specifically, our Heavenly Father wants to develop in us an abhorrence for sin. Can I ask you a question? Do you hate sin? Do you, do you hate it? You ought to. I ought to. Do you hate sin? I think we hate some sins, but I think with every single one of us here this evening, there's something in our lives that we do not abhor. And I mean some particular sin. Maybe it's the sin of unforgiveness toward a certain individual. Because you know what? They've driven us crazy for so many years. And frankly, there's a, bit, there's a root of bitterness a mile deep. And there's unforgiveness there. But you know what? We don't hate our unforgiveness toward that person because, frankly, they deserve, they, they have ruined our lives. We don't hate that sin of unforgiveness, but we ought to, shouldn't we? God hates it. You know, all of God's children should hate sin. 
It's the presence of sin in this world that is the source of all heartache and grief. A spiritual response to trials always brings profit. I'll say that again. A spiritual response to trials always is beneficial. Thanksgiving in response to a trial is beneficial. It brings glory to God. Praying during a trial brings glory to God. You know, I could go worry about it. I could go unload on my wife about it. I could be completely frustrated by it. I could allow it to consume me. I could become angry about it. You know, I could lose my temper, I suppose, about it. Or I could pray about it. That would bring glory to God. Humility would bring glory to God, responding that way. Forgiving someone, being kind to another who maybe who's not been kind to us. Holiness, all of these things are spiritual responses to trials that are profitable. Sometimes we respond to God's chastening in a sinful way. We say the wrong thing, right? Have you done that? You say the wrong thing? I have. You do the wrong thing. Maybe I think the wrong thing, or we develop the wrong attitudes. But I want to encourage you tonight, be careful not to waste the trial because of a hard heart or a sinful response. Look at verse number 11. Verse 11, he says, Now no chastening for the present seemeth to be joyous, but grievous. Nevertheless, afterward it yieldeth the peaceable fruit of righteousness unto them which are exercised thereby. You know, God wants us to know that he understands how difficult life can be. In fact, Jesus Christ knows exactly how we feel. He's pitiful. Many bowed. He talked about that. I'm not going to go into a lot of it, but the Jewish people often they understood they felt from here not here you when you grieve when i grieve deeply about something it's here not here when you're moved with the passion of love it's here not here for some of you it's been too long you don't remember what they, where that is at you know it's here jesus is he, the bible says he's pitiful Uh, Hebrews 4 tells us that he's touched with the feeling of our infirmities. The word touched there has the idea of to have compassion. Our Lord has compassion for us in hard times. He understands that chastening is, he says in verse 11, grievous. God understands that the, the chastening he brings into our lives, even though it be instructive, is it causes sadness. It causes heaviness. It even causes sorrow. And most people don't really understand what we're going through. That's true. They may want to, but they cannot. But the Lord does. He can relieve our heartaches. And he can even use them to produce spiritual fruit in our lives. Look at verse 11, the middle part again. And this is a wonderful truth. He says, nevertheless, afterward. I want to stop right there. This is wonderful. Um, afterward. In other words, he's, what he's saying is it's not going to last forever. The chastening that's so grievous, that's caused so much grief and heartache and sorrow at times, and heaviness, is not going to last forever. Praise God that there's an afterwards. 
I love that, that that's there. Don't give up on the Lord. He ends in verse number 11, and at the latter part he says it this way. He says, Nevertheless, afterward it yieldeth the peaceable fruit of righteousness unto them which are exercised thereby. You know, God wants to bring fruit out of your difficult situation. Your experience. Want what God wants. That's one thing I... I wrote down in my Bible, Seth, want what God wants. Do I, do I want what he wants? He knows what's best. He wants what's best. Am I still fighting against what he's trying to accomplish in my life? Or am I yielded to him saying, Lord, okay, this is the course you set me on that I'm going to go. I'm, I'm going to go that path. You know what? I'm not going to do it with doom and gloom. I'm doing it with joy. I'm going to do it with enthusiasm. I'm going to do it with an air of expectancy. Lord, you have a plan. And you're accomplishing your plan in my life. And this is difficult. Lord, could you please help me? There are times where there's the shoulders stoop and there's a weariness. Yes, those times come. But God gives grace and you get back on your feet. There are going to be times when we fall along the way. A just man falleth seven times and riseth up again. You get back up on your feet and you keep going. Why? Because God has a plan. And his way is best. His way is perfect. God wants to bring fruit out of the difficult experiences of life. So want what God wants. And the, the Bible says there at the end of verse 11 that the chastening yieldeth. And it doesn't, the word yieldeth doesn't simply mean to produce. It means to give back, to reward. Every time we go through chastening, the experience gives back. And that's what he's saying here. The experience, the chastening, the situation repays. It rewards us with spiritual fruit in our lives. So let's allow our hearts and our minds to be exercised. How many of you like to exercise? Let me ask you this. How many of you have ever bought a treadmill or had a treadmill? Maybe you got it from the garage sale. You, You had a treadmill. Come on. All right. Yeah. How many of you use that treadmill? Okay. That's pretty good. That's like 10% of people. I'm impressed. You know, you, you have that, you know, you've got that workout machine. You saw what it could do on somebody else. <laughs> Not on you, right? Yeah, we've all been there. We don't like to exercise. Yeah, we don't like that pain. It produces results. But we don't like it. And you know what? God is not as interested with our physical health as he is about our spiritual health. And that's really what he's after. Some of us in our spiritual walk with the Lord don't have, is it a six-pack? Eight-pack? I don't know. I think on a nine-pack. I don't know how many. We're not in good spiritual condition. What we ought to do, we ought to be submitted to God's plan and what he's trying to do in our lives. So be exercised. Let him exercise you through the trial. You may wish that the trouble had never come. And I, as your pastor, to watch you, and there are times where I'll never forget when God sent that tornado, blew my neighbor's barn away, Clinton Mel's barn away. And I thought, Lord, this isn't, isn't helpful. That's what I thought. This is not helpful. And then 
a month and a half, two months ago, Clint died of a heart attack. And just as a man, Lord, I don't understand. I don't understand. I don't understand what you're doing. You know, there are times in our lives where we may not understand, we may not see clearly, but know that God is not making a mistake. You know, what I'm finding myself, and even as I was preparing and studying for tonight, I was thinking of my neighbors, and I was looking at the Word of God, and I was pondering, Lord, I was pondering the reality of, Lord, you have allowed some trials into their lives, and God, I believe you have a plan. And Lord, I'm, and, and here, here's, here's what I was experiencing in my own heart this week. Lord, I'm looking forward to seeing you do what you want to do in that home. I don't know what it's going to look like. I don't know exactly when it's going to happen. But God, I know that you're working in that home. And you know, I believe the same is happening in your home. The same is happening in my home as well. Look at verse number 12. And the third thing that we can do is avoid making wrong choices. Avoid making wrong choices. You know, I'm going to stop there, okay? We got a youth activity. We got some amazing sandwiches. Did you make them, Pastor Scott? All right, that's good. Uh, um, let's close with a word of prayer. And